Uh, Matthew chapter 20 and verses 25 through 28 is going to be where I take my text from tonight. Also, the same account is recorded in Mark 10, 42 through 45, but we're going to read from the Matthew account. And I'm also going to read from the New Living Translation. And uh, so it might sound a little bit different if you have a King James or maybe some other translation. But Matthew 20 and verse 25. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over the people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Must is an absolute word, by the way. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Anybody want to sign up to be first tonight? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And tonight, the help of the Lord, I want to treat on this subject called to serve others. Let us pray. Father, you are the living word. Now preach the written word through my mouth, making my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Open our understanding that we may comprehend your scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we ask and pray and believe and expect all of this in your majestic, marvelous name, Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 The superlative epitome of serving others is obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. Hours before his crucifixion, Jesus said these words, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's in John 15, 13. Throughout his ministry on earth as God in flesh, Jesus taught by both his words and his deeds. He, he declared that the greatest among you shall be your servant. Matthew 23 11. Therefore, serving others is about becoming like Jesus Christ. When we serve others, we are serving Him. In the final verses of Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus illustrates the distinction between the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left hand. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and just turn there. It is a Bible study, right? Uh-huh. So let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 25. Some of you are turning pages. Some of you are scrolling with your fingers. Amen. You got it on your devices, you know. But Matthew 25, and, and I'm not going to read all of it, but, but again, beginning at verse 31, of course, we see Jesus begins to share with them this parable-like he doesn't call it a parable, but it's, it's got a parable essence to it. Verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all His holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. So Jesus is giving us, by the way, Matthew 24 is where He gives the explicit uh, reference to everything that will happen uh, leading up to and through the end times. It then moves into the latter part of comparing it to the days of Noah. uh, And then he moves into 
chapter 25 and gives a, a couple different parables of which explaining the same in event and, and how the kingdom of God will come to be. And in this final uh, part of, of Matthew 25, he's, de he's describing that in that moment, God will divide. Now, Daniel 12 also gives us the same picture of how that some will be awakened unto everlasting life and others unto judgment. And so that we're seeing the same thing repeated here in Matthew 25. Now, something begins to happen. Jesus says to those on his right hand, look at verse 34. Then the king shall say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. By the way, that's pretty cool that before the world was ever founded, God already had a kingdom set up for us. To, isn't that? I'm telling you. That'll preach right there, but I ain't got time to... to Stay on that vein. You know, this train's going to get off track real fast if I do. Verse 35, for I was in hunger and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came unto me. And then, watch verse 37. Then the righteous, uh, or then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered or fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee stranger or took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we sick or in prison and came unto you? Verse 14, the king shall answer unto them and say, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So again, I say that when we serve others, we're serving God. Do you know that you as a spirit-filled believer are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So when I serve you, I'm serving God. So right now, we have some people teaching elements. We have some staff teaching our students and our children, ministering to them, serving them, and serving those parents and grandparents. They're serving the kingdom of God. They're serving God. Does that, you see that? But I want you to also notice something else Jesus says here. Notice that he says, my brethren, indicating this is a, a, a specific group of people. My brethren is an indication of those who are born again. I, I bring that up because obviously the goats on the left are just the opposite. Everything that the sheep on the right did unto the least of these, they did it to Jesus. Well, the goats on the left didn't do it unto them. Therefore, they're the goats Okay, they refused. And what it points out is they refused to help people who are or were born again. Does that make sense? Okay, now, let me be very clear. I am not opposed to helping people. But stay with me for one week, one day in fact, and field the phone calls that I get of people just literally running down through the yellow pages of every church. Can I get help? Can I get help? Can I get help? Can I get help? Can... And they're telling every church the same story. And in some sense, my heart goes out to people because there are legitimately people that are in need. But there are a lot of people that are, if I can use this term, milking the system. So I'm not opposed to helping unsaved people. But this parable is not about helping unsaved people. I know a lot of people will quote this part of Matthew 25 and say, man, if you do a homeless ministry and if you have a soup kitchen and all this, you're doing what Matthew 25 says. And in the likeness of the old game show, survey says, 
It's to my brethren. It's to those who are, Jesus, even, you've done it unto me, right? So let me also say this. God never designed his church to be a welfare society or agency, and the Bible does not support a socialist political view. So while TCO does help our community, and we help people that are not saved, we do our most help to those who are. This includes right here in our very own congregation, as well as other congregations. Recently, in the, in the global community, the, the global body of Christ, there was a family whose house burnt down. We sent them a love offering to help them out. Okay? So we're helping the body of Christ who is hurting in some sense. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, this principle, by the way, is carried forward into the New Testament in multiple places. We're going to look at a few of them tonight. But one I want to point out right now is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Notice what he says here. If you want to turn, you can find it. Galatians 6, 10. Otherwise, I'll just read it. As we have therefore opportunity. The word as is a conditional statement. As we therefore have opportunity. Let us do good unto all men. But notice the rest of the verse. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So, yes, we should help other people, but our primary focus should be those of the household of faith. Okay? Now, with that truth in mind, I want us to delve into Scriptures together tonight to find out what it means to be called to serve others and follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Monday night this week, the the men of war that gathered, we did foot washing together and did it in a sense of humbling ourselves one to another in what Scripture teaches us to do. Jesus said, do it, what I've done to you, do to others. You see, the joy of serving others is unequaled in this life and rewarded exceedingly in eternity. It's not that we're doing it for that purpose but we're doing it knowing that it's laying up treasure in heaven where moth and dust cannot corrupt. Amen. How many of you want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant? You know, there's not a single scripture that says, well done, good and faithful teacher, preacher, uh, you know, bishop, apostle, evangelist, you know, vacuum cleaner, <laughs> faithful servant. Now, I'm, not, I'm not dogging on roles or titles or, or, or positions that, that we hold and serve in. What I'm saying is, at the end of the day, no matter what the nameplate says on the outside of your door, we're all faithful servants, or should be. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Now, again, uh, I'm going to read through the, a lot of these tonight out of the New Living Translation. And um, so... Romans 12, verse 9. You ready? Here we go. Everybody got your uh, seatbelts on? Might need a crash helmet because we're getting ready to hear some good truth. Ready? Verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Yeah, that's an ouch, ain't it? Okay? Because I think... I think Especially in Pentecostal circles, we're really good 
at, at doing this. Hey, how you doing? Praise the Lord. Good to see you, man. And, you know, we're just moving right on to the next person and we're not really engaging. You know? Really love them. Watch this. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. We're talking about how do I fulfill the call to serve others? Well, here it is. Verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now that goes against our nature. I mean, think about it. We are born out of the womb and what do we do within a few seconds? Because we want attention. Now I realize an infant can't speak, so the cry is indicating they either need to be held, fed, changed. I get that. But have you noticed how that as they begin to learn how to talk, that self-centeredness doesn't leave very easy? It's the same in the church. There's a lot of people that, that are, you know, they, don't, they want to be honored. The Bible says here to delight in honoring others. Put others first. Verse 11. Here we go, maybe with another ouch. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. And by the way, remember, serving the Lord is also serving others. Because when I serve you, I'm serving the Lord. So do it enthusiastically, right? Some people wake up every morning and say, good morning, Lord. Others wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning. Right? Been there, done that. I hear you. Time that the alarm goes off and I'm like, oh, would you please just stop? Right? I get it. I understand. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Hmm. Now, watch verse 13 because it corresponds to this truth bomb about, you know, helping people we can, but especially those of the household of faith, my brethren, remember, watch this. When God's people, which are saints, when God's saints are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. But it don't stop there. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That is easier read than done. Because we want to return tit for tat. Right? God said don't do it. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy. And weep with those who weep. In other words, you know, sense and feel and be a part of of what they're, you ever see this type of person, you know, they always have to one-up people, you know, you're at a, you know, maybe a potluck or something, and they're talking, and, and, and you say something like, well, I had a couple mowers, but, well, I had four, oh, you go, you know, Brian Regan calls that the me monster, you know, me, me, I, I, you know, and we, we, we want to trump other people, you know, well, that's nothing, well, it was something to me, both my molars hurt when they got pulled, you know, Right? Well, he's saying here, don't do that. Be happy with those who are happy. Celebrate their happiness. 
If they're weeping, empathize empathize with them. Right? Weep with them that weep. I'm reminded of a story, this little boy that there went out on the porch one day and saw that his neighbor was crying. He went back in. He said, Mommy, why is, why is our neighbor crying? And he says, she said, well, honey, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, but his wife passed away, and he's, he's sad. The funeral was, was yesterday, and he's, he's sad because they would always sit on the porch and read their paper. And the boy says, oh, no. Well, Mommy, I'm going to go help him. And not being a bad mom, but just curious, she said, well, honey, how are you going to help him? What are you going to do? And he goes, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. So he leaves and goes over, and he, you know, a couple hours goes by, whatever, and he comes back home. He said, well, Mommy, I helped him. She said, well, honey, what would you do? He goes, I just sat and cried with him. Yeah. Weep with those who weep. You know, sometimes we want to fix it, especially as men. We're fixers, you know. We want to, we want to put it together and fix it and, you know. Early on in my marriage, I realized that sometimes my wife just wanted me to, you know, listen to what she was saying. She didn't want me to fix anything. That was hard for me because I'm like, you know, my brain is going, okay, A plus B equals C and minus D equals FQ. And, you know, if we do this and and put that bolt over here and, you know, I've got it all planned out and all she just needs me to do is listen. It's like, okay. That's what the scripture is saying here. Verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Notice that word harmony, and I like how the New Living uses that word. In harmony, you're playing two different notes, right? You've got, think about it like our praise team. You've got a tenor part, you've got an alto part, you've got a soprano part. You've got at least three parts being sung. If everybody was singing the same part, it's in unison, not in harmony. But harmony makes it beautiful, Right? Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Oh, man, I'm telling you. I'll never forget sitting in a minister's training in Moberly, Missouri, years ago. In fact, it was 1989. Don't ask me how I remembered that. But in 1989, we're sitting in this training. And the host pastor, Brother McGarvey, it, the man has passed on since, but brilliant, man. The guy, the guy had scripture memorized. The guy was brilliant. He had wisdom, you know, that he was like a modern-day Solomon. I'm just, I was amazed. But we're in that meeting, and I'm watching him ask questions, and I'm like, Brother McGarvey knows the answer to that question. And I asked my pastor about it afterwards. I said, why did he do that? And he said, well, he, he wanted, he knew others probably had the question and were afraid to ask, so he wanted to ask it for him. I said, but he knew the answer. He could have taught the seminar. He said, no, he was just being humble. I'm like, huh. Learn from that. I've had, I've had people come to me and tell me, man, I got this great preaching thought. And, and I don't, please Please let me say this and, and, and know that I'm not trying to brag here. This is my 35th year of preaching. There's hardly a... In fact, I've preached from every book of the Bible. I'm not saying that to boast. Please don't go buy me a plaque that says I preach every book of the Bible. I'm just telling you that for reference to this story, okay? And so I've had people come to me and they'll begin to share with me a message. And nine times out of ten, I preach from it. But you know what I do? I'm like, oh, man, that's good. Wow, tell me more. Have you thought about this verse? Wow, that's exciting. 
Why? Because I'm wanting to do what the Bible says here. I'm not going to act like I know it all. Yeah, well, I preached that back in 1942, you know. Well, good for you. You know, what's that going to do to make that person feel like, right? I know this is first gear tonight. You know, we're not swinging from chandeliers. We don't even have chandeliers, but anyways. All right, verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. What that's saying is some people don't want to live in peace. So do what you can do, and if you get to the end of what you can do and they still don't want to live in peace, move on. But do everything you can do. That's what it's saying. Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scripture For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Everybody say this with me, ready? If I'll do what the Word says, I'll get what the Word promises. Okay, you can overcome evil by doing good. All right, let's look at James. Let's go to James chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles open again, I'm going to be reading from the New Living, so it's going to be a little bit different, but James 2, verses 1 through 20. Hallelujah. You ready? Here we go, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you go stand over there or else sit on the floor, well... Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Ouch. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? You know, I don't believe being poor is a quality that is mandated from God. I don't believe that at all. However, if it came down to me choosing being in poverty in this life and yet rich in faith, that is an easy answer for me. I'll live in a pup tent if I have to, if it means being rich in faith. Does that make sense? But again, I don't, the scripture's not saying that. I'm just saying if it did come down to that. Let's finish that verse. Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is guilty, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. 
So, whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. Ouch. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. You know, in Luke, I think it's 6.18 where it says, Given it shall be given you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom? Right? By show of hands, how many of you heard that scripture preached about tithes and offerings and, and all that, right? Anybody? Show of hands, yeah. A few Baptist nods out there, okay, yeah. Right. Well, the principle fits. But you know what the, the greater context of that is saying? Because it, in, in, the, in the literal context, he's talking about forgiveness. Not just giving, but forgiving. Here's what it's saying. Apply that to every principle. If I forgive others, I can expect to be given, forgiven, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. If I give mercy, love, faith, serving, all of those things positively, I can expect to receive back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Watch this. If I give hate, discrimination, bitterness, unforgiving, etc., guess what's going to come back to me? In good measure, Pressed down, shaking together, and running over. Yes, I do believe God blesses our finances. And I believe the principle applies to our financial state. But it's not that primary purpose of that verse. It's everything. Amen. Verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? You heard Pastor Jeremy uh, minister on that last week and did a, a, a phenomenal job. Verse 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. Again, notice brother or sister. He's indicating that's a person who's a believer, a born-again believer. It doesn't mean we don't help others. It just means the primary help should go to these. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Now, again, if we give all of our money away to everyone, I realize we've got bills to pay and other things. So it's not saying you have to, you know, everybody that's hungry. But when you give to the church, there's a category called hospitality. It's online and you can write it on there. You know what? There's often times where we'll help people with groceries. We'll help people with whatever. Right here within our church. Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was around six grand last year that we helped people. Again, mostly in the church. And we did help others outside the church. We also gave a, a large amount of money. Sixty some odd thousand, sixty-seven thousand dollars to missions including global missions and, and North American missions. And, and in many of those cases, they're helping the hurting. And like I mentioned, we helped that family already this year who lost their home in a fire. So by you supporting the church, you're also supporting these efforts as well. So it's not like you've got to drive around or, or ask around tonight who might be hurting and help them out. Okay? But here's what you could do too. Maybe, maybe you know there's a need. Maybe you know somebody's in need. You got an extra 20 in your wallet. You got an extra 10 in your, you know, account, whatever. Give them $10 of gas, you know. 
Go buy them a, a baker's card for 20 bucks, you know, to go to a grocery store or something. Right? Help them out. If you can't afford that, you can pray for them. If you can't afford it, you can, and you know there's a need, you can come and tell me, and we can help them. I remember one lady we helped one time. She had, she was $220 short of her, uh, what's it called, your down payment when you're doing an apartment? Uh, you pay a month in a deposit, thank you. So she was $220 short of her deposit, single mom, and just didn't know what to do. She, she, she had tried everything, had zero, you know, no other options. And just on a whim, she decided to come to church and, and she let me know the need. I just walked around to a handful of people and said, hey, could you help give? And this one gave 20, and this one gave 50, and this one gave 40, and this one gave whatever. And we had, we had it raised in just a few minutes. Blessed her with it. She said, well, I'll pay you back. And I said, no, here's what I want you to do. I said, there's going to come a time when there's going to be a need, and I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to say, hey, you got 20 bucks? Uh-huh. And she said, okay. Sure enough, about six months later, there was another need. And I went up to her and I said, hey. I said, remember a few months ago? She goes, yeah. I said, well, I need some help tonight. She goes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Whipped out her purse right there and said, here you go. Here's a 20. It's the way it works. Okay. Verse 17. So you see, faith by itself is, isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my, my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Ouch. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. We're talking about how we answer this call to serve others. What we do. What is the things that we do? How do we respond? How do we act? How do we live? And I hope you're getting some answers tonight. Amen. Philippians 2 verse 1. Again, apologize, but I've just been on a kick with a New Living Translation lately. It might be somewhat in part due to the fact that that's what my wife and I listen to every morning when we're reading the Bible through. By the way, I'm loving the comments on the U version. That's awesome. I, I love seeing what everybody says. Uh, there was one today, Sister Jackie, but it just, it, it, like, wow, what a perspective, you know. Uh, she brought out something about the sacrifices and how that, um, you know, if a person couldn't afford to get an animal, they could do something else to make up that sacrifice, proving that it, it wasn't so much about the the. You know, animal, whatever, it's about the fact that God, you know, made a way that everybody could sacrifice. I just love that. But comments like that, you know, so thank you for following or reading. Anyway, my wife and I are reading it or listening to it. We're following along as through the New Living. So I've just been kind of, you know, tickled pink about the New Living. So praise God. By the way, I still have my King James Jackie. Don't, Sister Jackie Ferris, don't you? And quizzers just, you know, they're not in here tonight, so we're good. And I'll preach from the new King James on Sunday. Hallelujah. <laughs> Whithersoever thou goest, you know. Saw a thing the other day about King James dogs. And the little picture, was they were going woofeth and barketh. And, you know, and I was laughing, you know. So, anyway. 
Okay, moving on. I know what Kennedy's thinking. He's like, man, keep preaching because you're not a good comedian, right, Elder? <laughs> Philippians 2, verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. How do I answer the call to serve others? Right here. Plain and simple. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I won't name the family, but years ago there was a family that came to our church that wasn't a part of our church yet. And I just went up and said, hey, is there anything I can help pray with you about or whatever? And I mentioned the name of their son. And I don't know, it was maybe a couple weeks later I brought the name up again Found out later that they were amazed that I'd remember the name of their son, much less pray for him, not being a member of the church. I didn't do it to win brownie points. I didn't do it to one day use it as an illustration in a sermon. I just did it because that's who I am. I'm trying to do what the scripture says. And I'm only using these examples of myself, please. I promise you, I'm, I hope my spirit's coming across. I'm not up here trying to boast, but, you know, I know the most about me. So, I'm try, you know, trying to give you examples of, of what this is tonight. So please... Please understand my heart with this. Look at verse number five. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Anybody want to be like Jesus? That old song, to be like Jesus. Here it is. Have the same attitude he did. Watch verse six. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, he didn't, he didn't walk around acting like he was God. Now, there were times, yes, he stated it plainly. I am the bread of life. I am so on and so forth. You know, but, but his purpose, his intent was to come as a servant. And we see it here. Instead, verse 7, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus comes as a servant. What piece of literature, what religion that's outside of the realm of Christianity, what, what study of mythology has its deity or leader leave his or her place of prominence and, and, and prestige to take on the form of a servant to redeem and purchase them? You don't find it. But in, but in Christianity, in the Bible, you find God saying, the only way my people are going to be reconciled is if I become like them so that they can become like me. Wow, what a Savior. By the way, Philippians 2 verse 1, where it mentions belonging to Christ and the fellowship together in the Spirit is corresponding to the my brethren that we see from Matthew 25, 40 and that principle of saints of blessing them. And if you continue reading in uh, read, excuse me, if you continue reading in Philippians 2, you'll discover that Jesus was exalted because he first humbled himself, proving the principle of the word of God. To be exalted, you have to be 
If you'll abase yourself, God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. You see, with God, it's it's this anti-culture system. The way up is down. If I want to find my life, I have to lose it. That, That seems bizarre. It's like, well, if I'm losing it, how am I going to find it? Because in losing it to his purpose, I didn't find it. You see, I know such statements do not make carnal sense, but they sure do make Christ-like saints. Which is why, I I don't have a death wish, but if my life and, and God's purpose for me one day is to be martyred, I hope to have the ability to say these words. You can't kill a dead man. I died to sin self and shame a long time ago therefore I'm dead already I've got my my speech ready my last word any last words I've got them ready <laughs> I'm dead already so this is, this is a moot point what you're about to do Bible says in fact my life is hidden with Christ mm, boy I wish I had time to preach on that that's why Satan really can't understand your future because your life is hidden with Christ. Hallelujah. So what is serving others? Serving others is the key to never becoming spiritually dull or indifferent. And it's ensuring we have an internal, eternal inheritance with God. You'll find this in Hebrews 6, 10 through 12. I'm not, I don't have time to read all these. It's getting close to... Uh, the, the time slot here. I'm just going to run through these real quick. Serving others is the ultimate representation of Jesus Christ. We're like the moon and God is the sun. We have no light of our own. We reflect His. And whether to fellow believers or unbelievers, we represent quite Christ. This is why Colossians 3 tells us to put off the old man, to put off the the ways of the old man and to put on Christ. It also tells us in verse 17 that whatsoever we do in word or deed to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, we often will refer to that when it comes to praying or baptizing or things like that, and certainly it applies, but it's everything. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all. One translation says, do it as a representation of Jesus Christ. Y'all know that I've dealt with my, or I should say I am dealing with, some of my impatient issues, namely with the highway, namely with those people that don't know what a long vertical pedal is. And I know they have vehicles that can go. And they're in the fast lane going slow. Or they're on an on-ramp and they're not speeding up. You know what I mean? And I'm having to say, oh Jesus, please, bless them, Lord. Give them a brain, Lord. (laughs) But in dealing with this, me and God have this kind of funny, corny relationship. And there's times He really convicts me. Other times God just, at least in my mind, cracks jokes with me. You know, like, like one, one Sunday, 
I, I, I'm a notes guy. I type all my notes out. I prepare and pray and all that. I have my notes all ready to go. And Pastor Lucas, you'll remember this, you know, because I was actually still in your, what is now your office. And uh, <laughs> I, I haven't told you. I remember texting you and talking about it. I'm like, man, I am freaked out because I'm, I'm in there praying. And God says, no, I want you to preach from Psalm 24. And I'm like, no joke, in my mind, I'm, I'm praying, I'm talking to God. I'm like, well, Lord, I don't have any notes. And God quips back and says, yeah, we'll just use mine. And that, that's sometimes the relationship I have with God in prayer. I'm like, okay, touche, you know. God's got jokes. All right. You know. Well, in the same sense, I'm driving around one day and I'm, I'm you know, getting frustrated. And, and God's like, you know, good thing you don't have CGSL in your plates yet. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Good one, God. You're really nice. You know. Good thing you ain't driving the church van. A place of hope and healing. Rah! We help you heal. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how me and God pray sometimes. It's like, you know, I get all convicted and, you know. I almost think, Sam, that, that God has this voice kind of like Brian Regan and some of the I can see God with some of the faces that he does. It's just, it's... Go Google Brian Reed. He's a funny comedian. Anyway, anyway, moving on. So whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in his name. Do it all as a representation of Jesus Christ. Serving others reveals the oneness of God. Have you read Ephesians 4? Let me, let me, let me read that one real quick. We've got a couple minutes here. I therefore the prison of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all is above all, through all, and in you all. Oneness, 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 oneness. And so serving others helps us to understand and reveal the oneness of God. And finally, serving others brings glory to God. And we see this in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Let me read this to you. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or place to stay. Stay, excuse me. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then, everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. I wonder if we could stand together, and I wonder, as you're standing with me, and those of you joining us online, um, I wonder if we could think, how can I better serve someone else? Maybe that serving is going to them tonight and asking them what you can pray for and genuinely bearing that burden with them. Maybe it's going to Pastor Lucas or my wife or Sister Jackie Ferris saying, hey, is there an area I can help out? 
Maybe it's going to Pastor Trevor saying, hey, can I sign up to be a part of the, one of the cleaning teams and help you know, clean the church? I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, cleaning the church is a great way to also pray. As you're vacuuming in between the pews, you can pray for the people there. If you're vacuuming the platform, you can pray for you know, those. You're vacuuming the classrooms, you can pray for the, the children and the students and all that. Amen? So I want us to think about how we can serve others and maybe go to somebody before we leave here tonight and genuinely make their situation yours. Father, I pray that you would help us to live up to all that you expect us to do. You wouldn't tell us to do these things except it were possible. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to do it day by day. We're certainly going to make mistakes. God, we're certainly going to have moments uh, of failure. But you said that we have an advocate with you as our Father, Jesus. And so we can come to you and find forgiveness and find hope and get back up again. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help us tonight to truly serve others. For in so doing, we know that we're serving you in Jesus' mighty name. Praise God. Praise God. I do want to make one special announcement before I officially dismiss you. I know it's already 8 o'clock. I know the praise team is eagerly waiting to get started. But let me just take a moment and tell you, as you know, um, I have a burden vision uh, to start many churches. And, and part of that might even include one day, uh, maybe if there's a church, you know, a, a denominational church, maybe that calls and, and assume or take over that church and see God save them. But in such a, a case also, We've been helping with the Nebraska City Church, who has been without a pastor. And God gave me a dream two Sundays ago, um, earlier this month, a very vivid dream, the eve of my birthday. On, in fact, it probably was on my birthday, the, the 7th. But um, during that dream, I was having a very vivid conversation with Pastor Kennedy. And uh, we began to talk. And he called me the next day, and we were finishing each other's sentences. And I, I say all this to say that this Sunday... Um, if the Lord uh, was in that dream, which I believe he was, and if the people that are there uh, were going to be electing uh, Kennedy to serve as the pastor there and assuming the Nebraska City Church as a daughter church under the wing of TCOO and helping them. Kennedy will still be here. He'll still be involved here, as will Terry and Laurel, who've been going down to help. And there's going to be others who are going to be helping with that process and vision as well. Um, but uh, I believe this is another way to expand that vision and, as we've preached tonight, serve others. So add Nebraska City to your prayers that God would give a great revival there and would send laborers to help in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you all in Jesus' name.